Okay, so today I want to talk about you're blessed. How many of you realize you're blessed? So when we talk about what it means and what it means to be blessed by God and what that means in our life. Well, last week we talked about being chosen, what it means to be blessed. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. So we're in the beloved. We're beloved of God. That's a good thing. How many know that's a good thing? It's a good thing to be loved by God. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. You didn't just get a little bit. You didn't get a pinch of grace. You got lavish grace. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, in Christ, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, to the summing up of all things in Christ, bringing all things together under the headship of Christ, things in heaven, things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also having listened to the message of truth, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory." We're talking about who are you, understanding your position in Christ. It is foundational to understand who you are. It makes a difference to understand who you are and what that means to you, not just positionally in Christ, but how it defines you. If we understand who we are, it changes our behavior. If you, I mean... Just, just, there are things that happen in life that change your identity, and that if you understand your identity, it changes your behavior. Let's say, so this week, Tina and I will celebrate 45 years of marriage. Uh, so, for, yay, you know, yay for Tina. Uh, she put up with a lot of crap. Uh, <laughs> she's watching this right now. She's not here. She got the day off today because she had a birthday this week. So, uh, 45 years of marriage. When we got married, it changed our identity. We went from, from single to married. So if you do it right, <laughs> if you do it right, and thank you for the effects, uh, if you do it right, then being single to married, it changes who you are. It changes your identity. You no longer identify yourself. I mean, if you're married and not, you identify yourself as single, something's wrong. You're lying. So, it cha- so understanding your identity helps you in everyday way of life. So we need to understand who we are in Christ. So verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We've been blessed. And when we use the term blessed, when I say blessed, it's hard for us to not go straight to the jugular of financial blessing. We think when, we, when I say you're blessed, you think, oh, yes, I'm blessed. Yeah, because you know, I got to eat today. That's not what he's talking about. 
Now, that's a good blessing. It's good to be blessed financially, but that's not what it's talking about. This is not talking about physical, tangible, tangible blessings. It's not talking about the blessing of good health. It's not talking about the blessings of a good life. This is talking about blessings that are beyond that. It's talking about the blessings in eternity, which, you know, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around. This blessing is not necessarily physical, although it may manifest itself in other blessings, because living for God is the best way to live. Living for God is the very best way to, for, to live. It doesn't mean it'll be a trouble-free life, but even though it may not be a trouble-free life, it is still the best way to live. But this blessing, Paul is describing, is primarily a spiritual eternal blessing. He said, so he's saying, you're blessed eternally. So we struggle with that because spiritual blessings seem less real to us. It means it seems wispy. It seems ethereal. It seems like this smoke machine that won't shut itself off. Uh, uh, <laughs> just, you know, it, it just it seems not real to us. But so that the physical, the, re, the real, the physical real seems, seems real. And the spiritual seems temporary, but the Bible tells us that the physical is temporary and the spiritual is eternal. Just the opposite of our thought process. So it requires of us something different so that we can think differently about it. So you think about it. So what we have an eternal inheritance. We have a spiritual eternal inheritance. Would you trade one day of intense trouble for a lifetime of blessing? Would you trade a really, really horrible day for a lifetime of blessing? Yeah. So would you trade maybe a life that's a little difficult, that has difficulties, that has challenges, that has problems? In the world, you will have tribulation. Would you trade that for an eternity of blessing? See, because there's really no comparison to a day, to a lifetime, to a lifetime, to eternity. There's no real comparison to that. But would you be willing, willing to trade? We say, well, for a day, I'll take a lifetime. Yeah. But so we're called into this great inheritance because all the, often we feel like in our our lives, we feel like the most important thing is to be comfortable, free of trouble. We measure life by the wrong things. We measure life by wealth or our collection of stuff. Man, it's some, we got a lot of stuff, folks. I, everywhere, it just amazes me. Everywhere I drive, everywhere you go, they're building storage places. Just like, just like everywhere you go, there's... There's ex, it's like extra storage places for all the stuff. Every, and you think, and they just keep building them. You think, oh, what are they building there? Oh, it's just another storage place. So we, you know, we, it's almost like we feel like life is measured by, by the collection of stuff, the, the, the house size that you have, uh, the car that you drive. Or is there more? Is there an eternal purpose that outweighs that far outweighs the right now. And Paul said, yeah, there's something eternal. There's an eternal inheritance, and that's part of our identity. So we understand, we talked last week about being chosen. That's the basis of our blessing. We're chosen because the greatest blessing that you can have, and it's hard to wrap our minds around this, but the greatest blessing that you can have, the greatest possible blessing that you can have is that the God of the universe 
would want to know you. I mean, think about the God of the universe before the foundation of the world had you in mind and said, I'm going to create people that are going to be mine and I want you. That's pretty incredible. Isn't it pretty amazing that God would choose us? Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, verse 4, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Now, you can have different translations that show this. Some translations would say that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption. Some translations say that we, he would be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us as adoption to sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us and the beloved. So because we're chosen, we've been made holy and blameless. That's so important because we have to be made holy and blameless because we, you can't have a relationship with a holy and blameless God if you're not holy and blameless. So he has to prepare us for our relationship with him. He makes us holy and blameless. And then he adopts us as sons through Jesus Christ. We are adopted into his eternal family. He makes us part of his family. And he bestows his grace upon us freely in the beloved. We're considered. So Jesus is beloved. And we're beloved. God loves Jesus. Would you question that God loves Jesus? No, I mean, it's his son. He's God of very God. God loves Jesus. God loves you. You're, you're beloved. You're, you're beloved of God. You're chosen of God. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on. I just like that word. I just like the way that he lavished grace on us. Isn't that a great word? He lavished his grace upon us. He just, lavished grace is more than you need, right? It's not just get, not getting by grace. Ooh, I just barely made it to heaven. How'd you get to heaven? Just barely. His grace is, and some of you might think that way. It's lavished. The blessing of redemption. In him we have redemption. The word redemption means to, re, to redeem something is to buy it back through purchase. So if something that, so let's say you, let's say you went and pawned something at the pawn shop. They give you a ticket so you can redeem it. So you go into the pawn shop, I've never pawned anything, but... I think this is how it works. So you have this ticket. And so what they've actually, they're going to charge you interest based. So what you redeem it, what, it, what they gave you, they gave you $12 when you gave them your saw. They gave you $12 and they give you a ticket. And if you, if you redeem it in the right amount of time for $25, you can get your saw back. You can buy it back. Well, we sold ourselves into sin we pawned ourselves into sin, but Jesus Christ came and paid the price of our redemption. He bought us back from sin. We're redeemed. We're reclaimed 
by the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.18 says, knowing that we were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. We were redeemed that we were bought back from sin by the blood of Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own. Why are you not your own? Because, for you've been bought with a price. What was the price? The blood of Jesus Christ. You've been, so you don't belong to yourself, you belong to Jesus. You've been brought, bought with a price. Therefore, he says, therefore, because of who you are, because you're not who you were, therefore glorify God in your body. Hebrews 9 for if the blood of goats and bulls, talking about the Old Testament sacrificial system, in the Old Testament, the way the sacrifices, they would yearly go and have the Day of Atonement. They would also go into take sacrifice for sins. There was no place in the Old Testament for intentional sin. It was only for accidental sin. How many, are, how many of you are glad that through the blood of Christ, purposeful sins are covered? Anybody here sinned on purpose? It wasn't accidental. Well, it, you know. So, so, but through the sacrificial system, they used the blood of bulls and goats to cover sins. They were just covering sins. It, didn't, it couldn't remove sin. And the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have the day of atonement been defiled, sanctified for the cleansing of the flesh. So it would cleanse, if I, it would cleanse you. That sacrifice would cleanse you. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So God wants to cleanse your conscience. Why does he want to cleanse your conscience? Because you need to have removed from your thinking that anything you've done in the past keeps you from God. Anybody here mess up in the past? Right. We, how many of us? All of us. Some of you raised your hands, but all of us have messed up in the past. You don't have to raise your hand. That was just, you know, just a test. So we've all messed up in the past, but we need our conscience cleansed so we're not living in shame and accusation from what's happened in the past. And we also need our conscience cleansed so that we don't think that what we're doing in the present earns us anything before God. So our past doesn't shame us. Our present, no, now God loves me more because I showed up for church on Memorial Day weekend. So Jesus, you owe me big time now. I, I've even had people say to me that I don't understand how this happened. I've been paying my tithes. What? Did you, did you think this was a bribe? This is just like, like God's the gang that came by, and if you didn't pay your tithes, then you were going to have problems. But since you've paid tithes, they're not going to burn your house down. No, that's it's not how it works. It doesn't mean I'm not going to have trouble. It didn't, it didn't earn. God does, oh, well, now I really love him. Oh, I'm going to have to help him, heal him, deliver him, because they gave $25 last week. And I, we were a really tough spot here in heaven. I don't know what we'd have done if they hadn't given their money. Right? 
So, so we have this distorted view that that's something we've done in the present. So what do we need? We need our conscience cleansed from both. You need at the same time be lifted from your failure of the past and the failures in the present. Failures in the past, failures in the present, and be delivered from the pride in your behavior in the present as if there would be some reason for boasting. Which is, you know where pride is often manifested in the Christian life? Is how we judge other people in their sin. That's how we often manifest it. Colossians 1.13, for he's rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He's beloved, we're beloved, in whom we have redemption. We've been bought back from, no longer under the obligation of, no longer determined, our future's not determined by because we've been set free from that. We've been set free from those things in the past through the blood of Christ. The forgiveness of sins. And then we have this blessing of forgiveness. Psalm 32 one says, 32, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. It's good to have your sins forgiven. It's good. Now, in 2 Corinthians, he describes this forgiveness this way. I want you to get a hold of this. Now, all these things are from God. He's talking about all the things that God does for us. Who reconciled us to himself, you know, to restore a relationship through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he has reconciled us to Christ, and now as those who are in Christ, we've been given a ministry of helping other people come into Christ. So we're in Christ, and we've been reconciled to God through Christ, and we've been given the truth. So we've been given something. We've been given something that helps people be reconciled to God. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, here's the incredible thing about what Jesus did on the cross. What Jesus did on the cross, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross was good for every sin for everybody. Now, not everyone who had their sins forgiven has received forgiveness. But the sacrifice was good. The sacrifice of Jesus covered every, was sufficient for every sin that had been sinned in the past and every sin, uh, to the cross and every sin that would be sinned until the end of time. That sacrifice was complete. What is the difference between those who have received forgiveness and those who have not? Because everyone has had their sins forgiven. The sacrifice was complete. So what's the difference? The difference is those of you who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And in believing, received what has been given to you. You believed, you know, you know your John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him 
should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, as Christians, we sometimes think the word of reconciliation is stop sinning, you filthy sinners. That's not the word. The word is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. You know why? You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ because he already died for your sins. He already paid the price for your redemption. There's not anything you need to do. There's not any behavior you need to add. He did it all. You just need to receive what he did. You need to believe. Jesus said, hey, this is what you need to believe, that he came into the world and died for your sins. Believe that Jesus came to be your Savior. And then he has given us lavish grace. Somebody's having a good time out here. It's a shame they're not in church. Uh, Man, this is, this is more fun out here than it is in there. The blessing of lavish grace. I just love that term, lavish grace, which he lavished upon us. John 16, John 1, 16. For of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So why do you need lavish grace? If you've been forgiven... If you've been forgiven and all your sins have been forgiven, then why do you still need grace? Because we're not lost any longer. We're found. Why do we still need grace? We still need grace because we have a tendency to run to the wrong fountain to drink from that cannot give us life. We tend to look to the, we, we tend to get deceived by life. The Bible talks about three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh is looking uh, for the pleasures of, of life or pleasures to give us life. In other words, looking for things, pleasures to give us life. Sex to give us life. Now, sex is, sex is wonderful, and sex in the atmosphere or the relationship of marriage is glorious. But it was only created to be within that, the bounds of that. And outside of that, it doesn't give you life. Often it gives you death. It's destructive. So he, he wants to give us life. Uh, abuse of alcohol, abuse of drugs, abuse of food. The lust of the, in other words, trying to find life in pleasures. And so we're, we're going to the wrong well. We're going to the wrong, and we get tempted. To go, we believe a lie, and we go to the wrong well. Or the lust of the eyes, measuring ourselves and others by material possessions. You know, that we believe that things equal life. And I, you know, things are great. I love things. But here, if you don't know this, here's what you need to know. Things are work. Every, more, everything you get is another responsibility. Just remember that. Like if you get a wife. No, I shouldn't. <laughs> pride, the pride of life. Needing the approval of others to feel fulfilled in ourselves. So we're running into the wrong well. I, I've seen so, you know, in living 62 years, I've seen this happen. I've, I've seen people running to the wrong well. That they've been married five years, they've been married six years, and somebody else comes along. Somebody comes along that, that uh, maybe this is the right term to use, tickles their fancy. And uh, 
<laughs> I'm sorry. That's the only thing I can think of. It's not the, out of context. Okay. So somebody comes along <laughs> and, and they're drawn away and they, oh, this is wonderful. This is love. Oh, I thought I was in love, but this is love. And then they realize after a period of time that it wasn't love. It was lust. And it wasn't life. It was, a, it was, it was, it was death. And after, the, after this time of deception over, after the family's destroyed, and after they've lost their reputation, and, and, after, and after the thrill is gone, they realize this, this, was, this was not life. This wasn't real. It was temporary, and I was deceived. People who don't know who they are act out of, by not knowing who they are. Think about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve didn't know who they were. And so the serpent shows up and says, hey, what's God said to you? He said, well, he told us we could eat of all the trees in the garden except that one. Ha, you know why he said that? He said that because he knows that the day you eat it, you'll have the knowledge of good and evil. He's trying to deprive you. You'll be like gods. You'll be higher than you are. See, they didn't realize that God had said to them, listen, hey, you guys, this is yours. See this right here? I want you to rule and reign over it. This garden that's covering this space, I want you to cover the whole earth with this garden. I want you to make the earth a garden. I want you to rule and reign. You have the authority over this garden. What they should have said, what they could have said is, hey, you liar, get out of our garden and don't ever come back. You're not welcome here, you stinking liar. But see, they didn't have, they didn't, they didn't realize, they didn't realize, we are the rulers of the earth. God's given us the authority. And this punk has come in trying to play his game. He doesn't have any right here. They had the authority to kick him out. And a lot of times we don't understand what our position is in Christ. We don't understand who we are. And we're living out of the error of our thinking. So we're, we're trying to get life from the wrong things. We're trying to get life. We're trying to get life from a tree of death. We're trying to get life from, we're trying to get water from an empty well. We don't recognize the deception. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with the view of an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ. So that verse is saying what this is all about. It's about the, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. The, the eternal plan of God is to exalt God the Son, and we got included in the plan. The eternal plan of God is to exalt the Son of God, and we got included in the plan the summing up of all things under Christ. Now, I don't know. Just think about this. Your salvation is incredible. The, the, just think about how incredible it is that God, God looked down through eternity before he created anything and said, I want you. God chose you before the foundation of the world. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit said, look, this is an incredible plan. This is a great plan. We are going to enlarge heaven. We're going to fill heaven with people. 
And the angel said, huh? And Satan said, uh-uh. But God said, look what we're going to do. We're going to redeem people, and we're going to include them in our family, and they're going to be joint heirs with Jesus Christ. They're going to get everything Jesus gets. In him, also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, having listened to the, the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were what happened? They believed. They were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of your inheritance with the view of the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. We are blessed with the inheritance of Christ. We have the inheritance of Christ. What is it? Gold? Silver? A new car? What's, I mean, what, what does Christ inherit in eternity? First of all, what Christ has in eternity that we get, that he has, is a relationship with God. He has paved the way that we can have a, an unhindered relationship with God, an inheritance with God. And it's an inheritance. And when did the inheritance start? Does it start when we get to heaven? Or did it start when Jesus died for us? Because that's how will goes into effect, right? So when Jesus died, his, the will goes into effect. And so we get the inheritance of God. We get the inheritance of a relationship, an eternal relationship. We get this. There, we don't get this. You're not as excited about this as I am, I can tell, okay? The treasure of eternity... There is no greater treasure than God. Yet, and he has said, I want to know you and be in relationship with you, and I'm going to save you through the blood of my son, make you holy and blameless so that I can bring you into my eternal family. There is no greater inheritance than God himself. God's, Jesus' inheritance is God the Father. And the second thing is that we have this inheritance. Jesus has the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. They're, they're the same thing. We're the body and the bride. So we, we Jesus inherits eternity, us. And, and we get each other. We get each other. In other words, we're going to be in a relationship with God. And we're going to be in a relationship with the body of Christ for eternity. I don't know if you realize this. It's a great treasure. You get, see, when you come, in, you come into the body, you don't come into the body of Christ when you die. Aren't you glad for that? You come to the body of Christ when you receive Christ as your Savior and Lord. So you get your inheritance of the body now. So, so the relationship we have now, we'll have an eternity, but it'll just be better. But isn't it great to be in relationship in the body of Christ, to have each other, to have one another, to be a part of the body of Christ? That's an inheritance. So we have this eternal relationship. It's going to be eternal. 
And some of you will be fixed, so you won't be so annoying. But it's going to be eternal. I don't know who those people would be. I'd just do that out. Uh, and we've received the Holy Spirit as a promise. He says, so we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We've received a seal. A seal was, is, you know, what ha- what's a seal? A seal means it's a done deal. It's write a contract. They put signatures on it. They would seal it. Make a decree. They'd put a, you know, they'd take off, they'd put wax, and they'd put a signet ring. They'd have a ring that would mark, and they'd mark, they'd seal it. It means it's a done deal. It's going to happen. So we receive the seal of the Holy Spirit. Something happens. So when you believe on Jesus Christ, you in that moment that you believe on Jesus Christ, you are birthed into the family of God. You become a child of God. You become a part of the family of God. You, you're with God, in God. You're in, you're in God's family. You're God's people. So how do we know? So how do we know that this is going to happen? How do we know? How do we know that this is going to really take place? Because sometimes we have really crappy days and we don't feel like God loves us. Or weeks or months or years. And we we this doesn't is this really is heaven really there? Is heaven going to really happen? Because I, gosh, this 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 part of it, this earth part's hard. And it doesn't seem to work the way we want it to work. So is, is God really there? Is he, is, he, is he really going to receive us to himself? Is there really something beyond this? Is there more beyond just this life? So how do we know that there is? And the Bible tells us that the Spirit tells us. The, Spirit, the same Spirit that said, hey, you need to believe on Jesus. The same Spirit that drew us into the family of God then confirms to us. He, can, he keeps confirming to us that we're God's children. I, see, I do this with my kids. I'm still confirming to my kids that they're mine. I still, I still tell Logan, he's, you know, he's, he's my baby. He's a pretty big, pretty big baby in a lot of ways. No, <laughs> no. He's, he's tall. He's, you know. But I tell him I love him, and he tells me he loves me. We're just, we, that's part of being in the family. In other words, I bear witness with him that he's my son. That's the same thing that the Holy Spirit does to us. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, which means Daddy, Daddy. You see, we're not saying, oh, most gracious Heavenly Father, I hope you will hear my prayer. You think, oh, the, the complexity of our prayer will cause it to be received. No. Why? Because we're not talking to the God of the universe. We're talking to our loving Heavenly Father. And if you can just look to heaven and go, oh, he understands it. He knows what you mean. There's times that you don't even know what to say. You don't know how to pray. You don't, and you're just groaning and moaning. And the Bible says that Jesus understands that. The Spirit of God understands that and intercedes for us according to the will of the Father. Our spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So the Spirit of God just keeps telling us, hey, yeah, I know you feel lousy today, but I still love you. You're still in the family. You're still mine. 
You still belong to me. And sometimes you've got to remind yourself, ooh, I'm a child of God. I'm beloved. I'm beloved. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the special ones. I'm more, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, but God loves me more than he loves you. Every child believes that. Every child believes that they're special to their parent, and you're special to God, and you ought to believe that. God only made one of you because he wanted you. You know why there's only one of you? Because God wanted you. When they made you, they broke the mold. Then rumor has it they beat the hell out of the mold maker, but that's, a whole, that's, another, that's another joke. That's another joke. <laughs> God's chosen you. He wants you. He's included you in the family. We've been adopted. We've been called in the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God just keeps reminding us. He loves you. You're mine. You're mine. Yeah, yeah, this is a crappy day. This is a bad day. This is a rough. This is not good. But I love you. You're beloved. You've got an inheritance. Live who you are. Be who you are. Remember who you are. Get your life from the right things. Don't try to get your life from an empty well. Get your life from Christ. That's the only place to get it. Your life, get your life from Christ. And we're just reminded. The Spirit just keeps bearing witness with us that we are children of God. Amen. Let's stand. Thank you. Father, we thank you today because you love us and you've called us. Unbelievably, unbelievably you've chosen us. But then you've blessed us with all these spiritual blessings of redemption and sonship and forgiveness, justification and holiness and blamelessness and a future and a calling and the Spirit of God that dwells within us and calls us, continually calls us to the Father, calls us to life in you. And Lord, we thank you. We pray, Lord, that we would not be drawn to empty wells, that we would, like Adam and Eve should have done, we would say to that liar, get out of here because you don't know what you're talking about, because I'm a child of God. I'm the beloved of God. I'm blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you. Have a great week. Have a great Memorial Day. See you next week.